All right, welcome back to another episode of the Locked On College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Reed, alongside my always great, consistent co-host, Jonah Tolls. Jonah, how's everything going today, man? Well, I figured out that Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones had a sleepover, so I don't know how you're <laughs> feeling about that, but, you know, uh, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Mike McCarthy, new head coach, I like to hire. You know, um, I think it's going to be great for Dak Prescott. And then, you know, in other non-Dallas Cowboys news, we got a lot of big decisions made from, you know, seniors and guys coming out and staying in school. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see the dynamics of, you know, these decisions of where to stay or to go. I mean, we've already seen a couple of top prospects make those decisions for us. It seemed like an under-the-table agreement between those two while they were still trying to figure out the Jason Garrett situation. But Jerry Jones already knew what he wanted to do with Jason Garrett. It was wildly speculated that he was going to wait until his contract expired on the 14th, I believe it was, but that proved to not be true. And he already knew he had his guy and Mike McCarthy. And I actually like Mike McCarthy. He's one of the better head coaching candidates on the market. And I know his message got a bit stale in Green Bay and his offense got a little bit outdated there as far as what he wanted to do. But he's a proven winner. He's won a Super Bowl. And he's done a lot of really good things in Green Bay. And I think he could bring some really good stability to what the Dallas Cowboys want to do in the future. Absolutely. And, you know, and a lot of people don't talk about Mike McCarthy enough because I'm not just saying this because he got hired by the Cowboys. Now, this guy, I've always had a deep respect for him because you remember Brett Favre at the end of his career in Green Bay. It was really spiraling downhill. I think he he finished the season where he, I think in 2004, 2005, where he had 20 touchdowns and 29 interceptions. He was like age 36. His career was spiraling. He was about to retire. He was about to be done. And then Mike McCarthy took over from the 49ers offensive coordinator position in 2005. I mean, 2006, rather. And he took over. And Brett Favre ended up having one of the best years of his career. And then, obviously, Aaron Rodgers came to play. And then it, all that kind of revitalized Brett Favre's, you know, late career. And so I think that that's one of – Mike McCarthy, what he doesn't get enough credit for is his ability to develop quarterbacks and ability to maximize quarterback play. People are telling me on my mentions on Twitter, like, what did Mike McCarthy do? I'm like, well, he won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he also beat the Dallas Cowboys twice in the last two uh, serious playoff runs this team had. So it's it's, uh, a lot of of Cowboys fans don't like to hire. I don't understand it because, you know, there's so much gripe about those Packers losses versus the Dez catch, the Jared Cook toe tap or whoever it may be. The other coach on the sideline was Mike McCarthy. So now you got him in Dallas. It's I like to hire a lot. Above all else is a great thing for Dak Prescott. But recent reports are saying that he's going to work with Kellen Moore to work on the a new creative offense. And if new reports are true about McCarthy kind of uh, reinventing himself as an analytics guy, I really like the potential of that Moore-McCarthy offense and what that could look like. Because no matter what you could say about Kellen Moore being the offensive coordinator last year, that wasn't his offense. That was Jason Garrett's offense, and he was just calling the plays. Kellen Moore is going to have a lot more creative control this year, and I cannot wait to see what that playbook's going to look like with him and McCarthy at the helm. It'll be really exciting just because I think he's going to bring some really good things to Dallas, but what's really going to be interesting to see is he's talking about all these analytically driven things that he's going to make or alterations to his offense. Now, let's see once he gets in those situations if he's really going to apply some of that stuff. I think that's the thing that's going to make or break McCarthy's tenure with the Cowboys just because he seemed like he was their guy from the outset. And we'll see what does happen with that situation. But it's really going to be fascinating. But NFL talk, 
That is, of course, the central idea of this podcast, of course. But we are the Locked On College Football, so we have to center it back a little bit and really back into the college football world. We did have a big decision yesterday from Tua Tagovailoa. He finally announced that he is officially declaring for the NFL draft. It's the thing that was widely speculated that he was going to do, but nobody really was for certain what he was going to do. And I know a lot of people tried to make a big fuss about Nick Saban and him having a press conference. But the last time Nick Saban has had a press conference with somebody that went back to school was with Mark Barron many years ago. So it was pretty much clear what Tua was going to do. And they had a very similar press conference last year with all the Alabama players that ended up declaring for the draft. So Tua officially enters his name into the NFL draft. He throws his name in the hat of many first-round quarterbacks that we are expecting to hear, possibly in the top 10 to 15 picks. And there's already been a lot of fuss about exactly where Tua is going to go, whether that's three, somebody trading up with in front of, well, I shouldn't say in front of, exchanging selections with the Detroit Lions, or if the Dolphins wait at five, or the Chargers at six. There's a lot of different places where Tua could go. But do you think this was the right decision for him to come out? Oh, absolutely. And we talked about on last episode, too. There were – there were zero pros to going back to Alabama. I mean, I read today a tweet that said, you know, very similar to what I echoed yesterday, was that if Tua went back to Alabama, it would have been an evaluation period. It would have been a devaluation period. Teams would have been talking themselves out of Tua Tagovailoa for another 365 days, as opposed to talking themselves into him in his pre-draft process here in 2020. So it's a great decision for him because I think if he's going to take a redshirt year, It'd rather be in the NFL, not just because he's going to get paid, and obviously that's a big incentive in itself, but that you're going to get NFL coaching and you're already drafted and you're pretty much securing yourself, I think, a top 5 to 10 draft pick. Whereas if you wait another year, the unknown just becomes even bigger. So I think Tua made the right call here. Strike while the iron's hot. He really accomplished everything he needed to in college. I mean, this guy is just so accomplished. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tua, and I think when he becomes healthy, I think he has potential to become a franchise quarterback. And I think a lot of these teams in the top 10 are saying, thank God. I mean, the biggest sigh of relief. It's about the Dolphins, the Chargers, you know, these teams, the Panthers even, teams that are in the, you know, the top 10 that may want to trade up for a guy like Tua. If Tua went back to school, we'd be fighting over, you know, Justin Herbert. And then we Jordan Love would be a top 10 pick if Tua went back. So it, it I think a lot of these teams are taking a big sigh of relief that, you know, they won't have to reach, I think, for more of a project in that top 10 range. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting to see exactly what happens with Tua as far as how does the NFL view him. And everybody on Twitter seems to love him, think he's going to go 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, somewhere in that range in the top 10. But we don't know how the NFL values him, and we don't know exactly his medical situation as well. There's going to be mixed opinions about them. There's going to be multiple teams that evaluate his medicals as far as the hip, the ankle surgery on both ankles, and then the other things that he has had throughout his career as far as the nagging injuries. Uh, In his situation, everybody knows that durability is a huge question mark surrounding his draft stock right now. But me personally, I still will be willing to take the risk on him inside the top five just because I love what he brings. I love what he brings to the table, man. I'm a huge fan of Tua Tagovailoa and what he brings to the table from an accuracy standpoint decision-making, and I just love the quiet but confident demeanor that he has about himself. And I was listening to Ty McShay on his podcast the other day, and he was talking about 
how when he was down at Alabama prior to, I believe it was the Mississippi State game, he talked to two, he had a sit-down conversation with him. Actually, the game that he got hurt, he was on. He was in the facility talking to him. I believe it was like a Wednesday or a Thursday doing game prep. And he was saying within 20 minutes of talking to him, you could just tell how he has a presence, he, how he has a presence and he's able to light up a room. And you just love having that aspect about a quarterback. And he's just a guy that you know is just going to absolutely crush the combine meetings with teams. And I think that's where teams are really going to fall in love with him. And not say to look past the injuries, but I think it's really going to help them as far as his evaluation and the presence that he has in the room with them. Yeah, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. And you, the listeners know that, you know, our stance on Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, you and I both love him. He was, he was our top quarterback coming out before the draft, before the season started. We are big fans of Tua. But just playing devil's advocate here, NFL front offices and scouts and, you know, player personnel make, decision makers, it, they're like the Supreme Court. They, they need a precedent to, to make a decision on this kind of stuff. And has there really been, you know, in the last, gosh, 15 to 20 years, what is the last quarterback you can think of that had, like, a severe injury like this, potentially medical, you know, taking him off boards. And I'm not talking about like a mid-round. I'm talking like a top five, top ten quarterback prospect where he had a legit injury concern, missed the season, and now possibly redshirt season. There isn't a real precedent to this that I can remember. So that that, that could scare some NFL teams off. I'm not sure if you could think of one, but to me, I, just, I don't remember a time where there's a top quarterback prospect with this much injury concerns attached to his name? No, I don't. I can't think of one right away. And that's a really good point. And that's why I said the medicals are really going to be big for his draft stock. And there's going to be some teams that really just say, we're just not comfortable with taking him just because his ankles are a huge issue. He's had surgery on both of them already. And then you add that in with the hip injury as well. There's going to be mixed opinions and reviews from team doctors about that as well. And that's a really good point. Just because we don't know what his medical situation is going to be, there's always going to be good words pump, pumped out there about him. And I know uh, it was already out there that he received a positive positive word from doctors already as far as his you know, prognosis and what he's looking forward to going forward. Tua has already said that he wants to come out and have a pro day if he is healthy, but that just right. seems like an unrealistic possibility right now and something that I don't think would be very wise on his part just because I think he needs to sit and get completely healthy. And I just don't think he has anything to prove during the pre-draft process, in my opinion, just because we know what he is at this point. And him throwing at a pro day, I don't really think that's going to change the opinion of many, even if it does show that he is fully healthy, him throwing on air to his own receivers. I don't think that's really what people want to see. They want right. to see those live bullets get out there flying, how he's able to adjust, if the hip is able to hold up, and if he can stay healthy. So him having a pro day, I just don't – I don't see the benefits of that. Yeah, and I don't think that even if he does throw and has a pro day, that's all fine and good, but I don't think that's what NFL decision makers are afraid of. I think they're afraid more long-term with his injury status and his durability. I think they know he can play you know, next, next year if he needs to or the year after. I don't think they're afraid for his short-term availability. I think they're afraid for his long-term availability. When these injuries stack up, you know, hip injuries, you know, knee injuries, foot injuries, where these – if these stack up, you know, those can be career enders and those can be degenerative kind of deals and things that, you know, stick with you for the rest of your career. So I think that's what decision makers are scared of. And it's not, I'm going to go back to my precedent argument, too. You know, and it's going to sound dumb, but like I said, there hasn't been a quarterback I can remember that has gone this high or this highly rated 
that has had such a severe injury attached to him. And I know Jalen Smith, Miles Jack, they've had those injuries. They've, you know, been fine and good um, in the NFL. But two is not a linebacker. And it's, it sounds dumb, but that's how decision makers are going to think here. They're going to think, well, you know, there has been a quarterback that we've seen who will injure like this and become, you know, a top prospect. So it's going to be interesting to see how the NFL kind of, you know, try to buck the trend on that and kind of, you know, buck the precedent there. But I, I some teams are going to be scared off. Uh, I'm not. I think there will be some team in the top five that takes them. I think I still think two is a top five lock. But I'm just saying there are some teams that will not have him on their board because of that precedent that has not been set yet. Definitely a fair argument. But I want to move on just because we have a really interesting show. Today, just to give you guys a quick rundown of some of the things that we're going to talk about during this entire segment, or entire show, I should say. Uh, we've already talked about Tua Tagovailoa's decision and how he has already declared for the 2020 NFL Draft, but there's been a lot of news as far as guys declaring or returning for their senior or even junior season, Richard junior seasons, and Devontae Smith is one guy that we will get to, Henry Ruggs, Xavier McKinney. Jerry Judy, Donovan Peoples-Jones, those are some of the names that we will debate, but we also will end the show talking about Jalen Hurts and how he has accepted his Senior Bowl invitation, a guy that I'm really looking forward to watching down there in Mobile. So we'll get to that in the last segment of the show, but before we get to that point, I want to remind our listeners about Breaking Tea. If you are looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea makes sports t-shirts around teams' passion moments. Great for all fans, you can go to breakingtea.com slash locked on and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts. So make sure to take check out breakingtea.com slash locked on. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. All right, so let's get to some of these names. Let's start with the guys that have actually declared for the draft first. And we have a very Alabama-heavy show and there was no intent on doing that, but we just listed some names of the guys that have officially declared here recently in the past few days. And the first guy that I want to start with, I want to get out to a fast start. And this guy is the definition of fast, and that's Henry Ruggs III. I'm a big fan of him. I love what he brings to the table. And we've seen guys like John Ross and guys of that nature go in the top 10 of the draft. And that's not to say that Henry Ruggs will end up going top 10, but he's going to run 4-2 at the combine. I think he's going to jump a vertical of 40-plus at the combine as well. I think his numbers are going to be stupid. They're going to be ridiculous the way he tests at the combine. It wouldn't surprise me if he does sneak inside the top 12 picks and just what he brings to the table. Every team loves adding speed to their team. And that's something that Henry Ruggs does. That's that's an asset that he does bring to the table, but he's not just a speed demon. He's a guy that runs a well-diverse route tree as well. And that's something that I love about him. Very strong at the catch point. Body strength is spectacular. A go-up-and-get-it type of receiver, even for his smaller stature. I, I'm the, I'm a big fan of Henry Ruggs, man. He, he's going to be right there neck-and-neck neck with Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb for me, but he brings a different type of a skill set just because I wouldn't say he's a bit of a boomer bust guy, but I'm more, I'm more confident in him being more of a boom guy as opposed to a bust guy just because he's not just a speed demon and he offers much more than that. Oh, and I love that your last sentence there. He's not just a speed guy. You look at him on tape, man. This guy has an excellent route running, you know, skill set and package. This guy gets off clean at the line of scrimmage. This guy has clean breaks in his routes. He's a natural hands catcher. I love his ability to catch points, consistency there. I think you just want to see him get a little stronger to, de- to develop against press coverage. I think that's where he had a little bit of trouble this year. But, man, this guy has just, you know, 
elite speed. I, I, this is why, you know, bull prediction here. I think Henry Ruggs is the first receiver drafted in April. They oversee oh, wow. him and Jerry Judy. And, you know, he won't be the number one receiver on my board. CeeDee Lamb will be the number one receiver on my board. I think you can pretty much pencil that in. But, you know, Henry Ruggs is a guy that's going to run sub 4-3 in the combine. He's going to jump over 42, 43 inches on the vertical. This guy's going to look like an athletic freak. And then you look at his tape. This guy has excellent tape. He's not just a burner. He's not just John Ross or Corey Coleman where he has some drops on tape. This guy is a natural hands catcher, good route runner with 4-2 speed. And he's a bigger version of those guys. And those guys were the first receivers drafted in their class. So it's one of those things where it's like, I, I think Ruggs is going to be so highly valued by teams. And especially after the combine, there's going to be some owners who are going to be there. And it's like, wow, we got to take that guy. And whether it's the Raiders trading up or the Jaguars taking him, I, I think Ruggs is going for, first among his wide receiver class. And it wouldn't surprise me at all considering the combine he's going to have. And look at Judy and Lamb. Judy and Lamb, the reason why they would go over Ruggs, I think, is because, A, their production, and, B, I think they have better tape and traits. But it's not going to be the pre-draft process. It's not going to be the combine. It's not going to be the pro days because Ruggs hasn't beat both there. If there's a way for Ruggs to catch up and kind of make himself up as a number one receiver on most boards, it's going to be after the combine, and I think that's what's going to happen. And it only takes one team, and I think Ruggs is going to be the first receiver drafted, knowing recent history and what Ruggs is going to do in the pre-draft process. And I forget who tweeted it out. I can't really remember. I believe it was an Alabama beat writer saying that he got a second-round grade from the NFL Draft Advisory Board. I think that's going to change once we get closer to oh April. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> People start Will to catch really up on got that. second-round grade. Dietrich yeah, makes, Wills yeah. is going fourth overall to the Giants, my friends. I would not doubt that at all. And it was funny seeing Tom and Shay's uh, graphic of all the Alabama guys when, the Alabama, uh, when they were playing in the bowl game against Michigan. Jedrick Wills was not on there at all, so a lot of people are really still playing catch up on his tape. And I want to give some credit. <laughs> I want to give some credit to Dane Brugler from the Athletic. He was one oh, of the absolutely. first guys I did see that was on Jedrick Wills. So kudos to Dane, a guy I highly respect in the industry. So uh, kudos and, to him. And, and, and another thing on Dane, Dane did it when it was not popular at all. Yeah, like it was one of those things where he went out on a limb that did that, and when he said that, it was crazy. So big kudos to Dane on that because I know that took a lot of guts. It definitely did. Um, but another guy, or the next guy, I should say, that I want to get to, still staying Alabama heavy. We might as well go through all of those guys. And he recently declared a couple of days ago, Xavier McKinney, the safety from Alabama. I am a big Xavier McKinney fan, man. Go and watch him against South Carolina. He is doing it all. He's playing in the box. He's playing on the roof of the defense. He's playing strong safety. He's being a blitzer. He brings everything to the table. And don't be surprised. If he is the first safety off the board in this draft, and yes, I said it ahead of Grant Delpit, that would not surprise I me am at all. With you. I lo- I think he's much more versatile than what Grant Delpit does bring to the table. I think even though Grant Delpit will be a much better athlete than what McKinney does test, I think McKinney brings much more versatile skill set to the table. He really does it all, man. I'm a big fan of his Avery McKinney. Jordan, we gotta stop agreeing on stuff, man. The, the <laughs> listeners are gonna tune out. They're gonna give us one star reviews for this podcast. We just keep agreeing on things because as I tell you, Xavier McKinney to me is my top safety. Uh, you watch his tape. Forget South Carolina. Watch LSU. That one too. The biggest, yeah. Biggest game of the season. This guy was the best player, best defensive player on the field, arguably for both teams. This guy was awesome. Just as a blitzer, a slot covers man defender. This guy can really do it all. A Swiss Army knife with a lot of athletic upside. 
I'm a big fan of Xavier McKinney. I think he deserves to be a top 15 pick. The question is that the safety position is the NFL value that position highly enough for him to go that high. I don't personally think so, but I think he's in play for a team like Dallas at 17, a team that needs playmakers, a team that needs a guy who can make plays in the back end. And McKinney is exactly that. He can play a variety of different spots. I think he can play almost every position in the secondary other than probably outside cornerback. So this is a guy that I think, you know, could be a chess piece. You can move around. With Delpit, I think Delpit to me is just a deep safety. I don't know if you can trust him enough in the box for with his open field tackling inconsistencies to really put him in that spot. So if you're looking for a guy that can really do it all in position flexible, scheme flexible, McKinney's going to be your guy. You know, I understand certain teams are going to have Delpit higher because they'll have a stringent scheme surrounding him to all mask his weaknesses where you don't have to come up and run scores often and not be a primary run defender. But if you're looking for the, at the broad pool of teams, you know, different schemes, position flex, all of that, and especially in the, in the base nickel of today's NFL's defenses, Xavier McKinney will be, I think, the top safety on many boards. I agree with you, man. I'm a big fan of Xavier McKinney, and I love that you brought up the LSU game as well just because he had, I believe it was a strip sack early in the first half of where he was just a heat-seeking missile off the edge. <laughs> he ended up sacking Joe Burrow, a strip sacking it uh, as well. So I'm a big fan of him. I love what he brings to the table. Like I said, it would not surprise me at all if he's the first safety we hear off the board. But next name I want to get to, uh, moving right along, staying with the Alabama theme, and that's Jerry Judy, a guy we don't have to spend a whole bunch of time on. We know how great of a prospect this guy is, and it's going to be back and forth, and I think he's going to be all over boards as far as interchangeable between him and C.D. Lamb and also Henry Ruggs III as far as the top receiver on team's boards. But I think he was a little bit overvalued early on in draft season just because he was a highlight reel waiting to happen, and a lot of people were saying he was going to be a top-five pick, people comparing him to Odell Beckham Jr., I thought those comparisons were a little bit rich. And even Odell, wasn't a top, he wasn't a top 10 pick. I think Odell went like 11 or 12th or something like that when he was picked by the Giants. So I, I still think I see Jerry Judy going in that range. I think he ended up going in the top 10 to top 15. I think that's a fair range for him to go. But as far as what he brings to the table, I mean, you talk about a guy that he has elite separation abilities, and we both know separation is king in the NFL, and that's one of his best assets. So I think he'll be just fine. But I think the the weight concerns, I think that's a bit of a concern about him. And we really haven't seen him play a whole bunch on the outside just because that's where Ruggs and Smith have played and Waddle as well. Judy has really dominated for the most part in the slot. And maybe I don't really know whether that's because of personnel that they do have or if he's just not as good on the outside. I think that's a big question mark that I do have with him. Just a lot of his production has come from the slot. So it'll be a question mark. And it'll be a mystery until he gets to the NFL as far as how good he is on the outside. But that's okay if he's not as great on the outside. I think he's a guy that can dominate in the slot in the NFL as well. So, of course, I'm a big fan of Jerry Judy. He's going to be a slam-dunk first-round pick. And what's the main comparison I've given Judy throughout this entire process? To Mari Cooper, the guy yeah. who he succeeded at Alabama you know, you know, five, six years ago. This is a guy that, you know, great route runner. You said primarily his best play is in the slot. Very similar to Cooper. Cooper's best play, I know Cooper lines up a lot on the outside for Dallas and previously the Oakland Raiders, but his best games and his best performances come from the slot. And it's because he has more room to operate. He has a two-way go. This is a guy, Judy's the same way. And I think if a team's creative enough to use Judy like that, Judy can be you know, a, a perennial 100-catch receiver. I don't think anyone doubts that. I think people question 
I guess his athletic ceiling compared to guys like Ruggs and C. Lamb because C. Lamb's a guy who can go up at the catch point and you know be a red zone threat, kind of like a DeAndre Hopkins, do an all kind of player. Ruggs can take the top off the defense. Judy's more of like the underneath, you know, good route runner, but he's not going to take the top off the defense. He's not really going to be. He's not really going to separate at the catch point. He's not going to catch. You know, in terms of contested situations, he's not as good as a guy like C. D. Lamb or even a guy like Henry Ruggs for that matter. So it's going to be interesting to see where the NFL values him. But I think he's Amari Cooper 2.0. I think he's a top 10 player in this class still. I'm willing to bet on him just because his route running and release package alone. So I think that translates the most to the NFL. You talk about separation is king. Absolutely it is. And one of the most things, one of the biggest things that translates to the NFL, like I said earlier, is winning at the line of scrimmage. And Judy does it better than any receiver I've ever scouted in terms of getting off the line of scrimmage. Look at Keenan Allen. Look at Amari Cooper, Stephon Diggs, Michael Thomas. These guys are the most advanced skill sets at the line of scrimmage. Jerry Judy has that. Right when he steps in the NFL, cornerbacks are going to have a problem going up against him in the line of scrimmage. So I don't have as much of a problem with him lining up on the outside and press coverage and all that. I think he's going to get off clean. It's just a matter of him having his best play from the slot, similar to Amari Cooper and similar to Keenan Allen. Definitely. And the, the comparison that I made for Judy was Chad Ochocinco. I think he compares very favorably to him. Now, he doesn't play as much on the outside as what Ocho Cinco did play during his career with the Bengals, but as far as how they win with their quick twitch abilities, they're able to extend and catch the ball outside of their catch radius and just create so much separation. I think that makes them very favorable comparisons. But really excited about Judy. I love what he brings to the table. But before we move on, here's a quick word from my sponsors. All right, and we are back to continue the trend of guys that have already declared for the NFL draft. If you did miss the first segment, we talked about Tua's decision and how declaring for the draft will really help him. There really wasn't any benefits for him going back to Alabama for his senior season. We've already discussed Henry Ruggs III, Xavier McKinney, and also Jerry Judy. And we're going to talk about a couple more guys. Uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones is the next guy that I want to talk about going away from the Alabama theme, but we will circle back uh, to the Alabama theme once we talk about players that have decided to return uh, next season in 2020. But I want to talk about Donovan Peoples-Jones, a guy that we have both agreed on that the NFL is probably going to be much higher on than what the social media world is right now. Tested out of the roof, coming out of high school, five-star recruit, one of the best players to ever come out of Michigan. I believe he's out of the Detroit area, one of the best, the best players to ever come out of that area. Uh, was a slam dunk recruit or pickup for the Michigan Wolverines when he did sign with them. He really hasn't played up to his potential. He really hasn't matched that five-star mantra that he has had. But a lot of people have credited that too. The poor quarterback play that he has had to play with, the mixture of schemes that he has had to incorporate or been experienced or exposed to, and when he has gotten the ball, he has shown some flashes. The Ohio State game this year was really one where he did flash, but drops has always been the negative against him. But I'm a fan of Donovan's People Jones, but the the first round talk that he's getting from some people, I think I'm a bit hesitant with that. But I would be comfortable with him on day two. But he is one guy that I think is really going to rise after the combine just because I think he's going to test really well. He's going to look really good in the workouts. And, of course, the pro day, he's going to catch everything. But I still would be a bit hesitant as far as taking him on day one. Oh, man. You talk about size, speed, specimen. Coming out of high school at 6'2", 200 pounds, a 4'4", and a 38-and-a-half-inch vertical jump. That was at 17, 18 years old. I mean, you're talking about four years ago. This is, 
this is a guy that uh, he's gonna blow. He's gonna absolutely blow it up in Indianapolis. Yep. I think NFL is gonna fall in love with him. Similar, how I think Henry Ruggs is gonna blow up the combine. DPJ is gonna do it for the tier two wide receivers. I think he's gonna separate himself in that pack, especially with Devontae Smith going back to school, which we'll discuss later. But DPJ, man, th- this guy. I think like we talked about earlier before the show. The NFL is going to be a lot higher on him than the scouting community right now is. I think this is going to be a classic case of the scouting community catching up to the NFL in terms of his evaluation, his you know correct projection. And I think it's going to be that late first round, early second round range. And you, know, you, you said earlier, drops have been the main concern. But honestly, the biggest concern on this tape is just that he doesn't have enough volume. He doesn't have enough opportunities in his offense. Shea Patterson doesn't give us a good look or you know other Michigan quarterbacks he's played with just haven't given us a good look as to what he can be at the next level, whether it's, you know, throwing a good ball, throwing it on time, you know, for him to run underneath it in stride. He hasn't had a lot of those opportunities, so he's going to be a little bit unknown there, but you know the talent's there, and that's why he's going to get drafted. But if he had good, if he was at Alabama or Ohio State, this guy might be a top 10, 15 pick. So it's that, that's the difference is that we just don't know how good he can be because we haven't seen him with a kind of correct that can maximize his play yet. And that's why I think a lot of teams will be intrigued with him in that late first round, early second round range. And I think he's one of those players that's going to be drafted high for what he can turn into, not what he has shown thus far. And I think I think that's really going to be the stamp of his career and his draft status. People are going to draft him early just because of what he can turn into. And for the, the old variables that I talked about previously, that's going to be, I don't want to say excuses for him, but that's just going to be the, the stigma around him. He just played in a poor offense with bad quarterback play, inaccurate quarterbacks that just weren't able to get the ball to him. But when they did get the ball to him, he showed so many flashes. Absolutely. Do not be surprised. This is a guy that, I mean, you talk about a guy, you know, playing you know drafting him for what he could become and that's you know you see that every year with a lot of his wide receivers but don't be surprised if dpj is one of the receivers in the front of this class that has early production and the reason i say that is because once you get with a court a lot of people are gonna be surprised with them saying like oh we thought it'd be judy rugs all those guys dpj is just as talented as those guys we just haven't seen that it's been masked behind this shea patterson michigan quarterback debacle <laughs> Jim Harbaugh, and we just haven't been able to see him. If you put him in Alabama, he's a top 15 lock. Easily, without question. That's the thing. This guy's a freak, and he has just so many just solid traits you can point to on film, but he hasn't had the consistency or the volume of opportunities those other guys had. So don't be surprised if he goes to the late first round, playoff teams. Talk about New Orleans, Green Bay. Green Bay is looking for playmakers for Aaron Rodgers' last window. You put DPJ with Aaron Rodgers, what a big jump from Shea Patterson to Aaron Rodgers, my friend. DPJ will put up big numbers in that offense. And I think, you know, it's honestly the best thing for him. You would rather him go to an offense where he finally has good quarterback play as opposed to a team like Jacksonville where he has a lot of turmoil and quarterback, you know, change there. So I think DPJ going to like Green Bay, New Orleans, would be a perfect fit. And don't be surprised if he'd be an early, you know, offensive rookie of the year candidate over there if he goes over there, even though receivers – historically don't have great rookie seasons. That looks to be bucking the trend now with DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown really turning that around for the Titans and Seahawks respectively this year, though. We'll see what happens with DPJ. Big fan of him coming out, and I think he's going to be drafted high. How high? We don't really know. 
but he's going to crush the combine. I think he's going to crush the interviews. He's going to look really good in the drills just because that's where he dominates. That's really his domain. But I want to move on to the next person. And we're talking about a guy that decided to return to school, surprisingly to some. And that is Devontae Smith, the wide receiver from Alabama, circling back to the Crimson Tide theme. That really came as a shock to some people, but it really wasn't for me. This really was widely speculated, something that was circulating in scouting communities already. It's just that he wanted to gain some weight. He wasn't really comfortable with coming out. And I know some people had him in the first round of their mock drafts and, you know, early second round. I think that was the latest that he was projected to go. But I love everything that he brings to the table, man. Out of all of the Alabama receivers, he probably is my favorite just because I think he's the best route runner out of all of the top guys that they do have out of the four. I love the the consistency that he shows, the unselfishness that he shows. He goes down, he runs down on punt team. He plays on every single special teams. So that just shows you the the type of demeanor that he has and the type of teammate that he is. Even though he is a bit slight, I think he plays much stronger than what his body indicates. And I love everything about Devontae Smith. I'm a big fan of him. And he He's easily going to be a top, probably every single wide receiver awards list next year going into 2020. Yeah, and we talk about, you know, strike while the iron's hot, you know. went back for all the right reasons this guy was the number three receiver you know by all regards in the draft community behind Judy and Ruggs in the Alabama offense despite arguably being the most productive receiver in the offense this year he was really considered the third player in that wide receiver core and now he goes back with Jalen Waddle to kind of make a bigger name for himself a second year guy bulk up add some muscle to his frame this is a great decision on all fronts for Devontae Smith improve his draft stock kind of create his own name identity and you know as a draft prospect and not you know staying in the shadow behind rugs and Judy. i think it was a great decision on that part but man i i'm with you on his just his skill set i thought he had the best body control at the catch point of any receiver i've watched this year this guy just has a feel for you know adjusting to the ball in the air you're getting his feet down this guy just has so much control in the air that i just don't you don't see in college guys nfl players they adapt because that was the two foot roll versus the one foot roll this guy just has amazing footwork and body control to contour his body, adjust to the ball in the air. I love everything about Devontae Smith as a route runner. And then you saw his speed against teams like LSU, Ole Miss, where he broke free for like 800 yards. This is a guy that I think is going to have NFL success. But now we're going to have to wait for 2021, and I'm willing to wait because I think this guy's a lot of potential. And I think that could be even more maximized if he gets stronger. That was the biggest question I had regarding him being a first or second round guy. If he can get stronger, this the ceiling is you know through the roof for this guy. And to quote Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof for Devontae Smith. <laughs> I mean, the, I, I, I'm a big I'm, you you know me. I'm a big fan of Devontae Smith. Ever that ever since the LSU game, this is a guy that really put his name on the map, and he has a chance to create an even bigger map for himself in 2021 with Jalen Waddle right next to him. We're both big fans of Devontae Smith, and it seems like we do agree on everything. We want to apologize for all of the listeners out there that are listening for some type of debate. Just wait until about two weeks when we get down to Mobile. There's going to be a lot of debate and a lot of back and forth between us two, just because we're going to see some things in practice. Oh, yeah. I already know that's coming. (laughs) I know that's coming. I'm going to try to keep my hard eyes off Jordan Love as best as I can and grade him fairly. But uh, before we move on and we talk about Jalen Hurts accepting his invitation to the Senior Bowl, here's another quick word from our sponsors. 
All right, we are back from the break, and we are discussing Jalen Hurts accepting his senior bowl invitation. And this is something that popped up randomly on Twitter last night. I hate, I can't give credit to the guy that tweeted it out, but he said he spoke to Jim Nagy last night, and Nagy confirmed to him that, that Jalen Hurts had officially accepted his senior bowl invitation, and we saw it officially from the senior bowl website, or I shouldn't say website, Twitter account. They confirmed it that Jalen Hurts did, in fact, accept his senior bowl invitation. So just your overall thoughts on that and what he can gain from participating in the senior bowl. And, you know, here's the thing about all-star games and the pre-draft cycle that I want our listeners to understand is that the old scouting kind of philosophy on all-star games is that you can do nothing but help yourself because what's the worst thing you can do? You can, you know, bomb the practice, bomb the game, but old scouts and coaches are going to see that as, well, he only had a week with the players. So that's not going to mean nothing. I mean, if, if he has bad throws because he didn't, you know, had no chemistry with the receivers, so what? One week with those guys. They're going to go back to the tape and watch that and evaluate it from there. But if he has a good week, if he can show this coaching staff, you know, leadership, poise, uh, ability to pick up the playbook fast. I know a lot of these Big 12, you know, offenses coming from the Lincoln Riley offense to the NFL. You know, I – this could be big for him and, you know, helping him more so from the intangibles perspective, more so from a throwing perspective. We, we know what Jalen Hurts is a thrower. He, he's not going to, you know, you know, blow people away with his arm strength like Jordan Love or Justin Herbert or any of these other guys in this class. But he's a guy that, you know, wins with his leadership and intangibles, poise, you know, you know, ability to make plays outside the pocket. We know all of that. But, you know, if he can show coaches his ability to, you know, pick up a playbook fast, take control of a huddle, all of that kind of, you know, those little things, those little things matter. You know, uh, Jalen Hurts has a, lot, has a lot to prove and a lot to gain. I don't, you know, these people say, well, you know, who are the losers of the senior bowl? Who are the people who lost their draft stock? I don't believe prospects can really lose or, you know, have their stock lost during the senior bowl or shrine bowl or whatever pre-draft cycle all-star game you're in. Because you're only there for a week, and I think teams are going to value the film so much more than the Senior Bowl or the Shrine Bowl or whatever it is. But if you play good in those games, it can only help you. So that, that, that's why I'm saying about Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, great decision to go to the Senior Bowl. It can only help you, and then you never know. You go coaching staff over there. You know, they could fall in love. It only takes one team, and one of those teams falls in love with you. All of a sudden, you're drafting the first, second, third round. It's much higher than where you would have been if you didn't go to the senior bowl. So a great decision for him. I love it. Only things to gain from him. Definitely. And a great homecoming for him as well. You know, even though it's not his home state of Texas, he's coming back to Alabama. Great PR move for the senior bowl. And I'm sure they're going to sell a lot of tickets with Jalen returning to Alabama. So kudos to him. I'm really excited to seeing him play really in a controlled environment where we, where we can really evaluate him as a thrower if that makes sense, just because his game is really predicated around a run-centric type of offense, even though he did make tremendous strides as far as a thrower at Oklahoma. I want to see a controlled environment where he knows exactly what routes are coming, how well he throws the ball, and how well he manages in some of these drills. And he's going to be matched up against some really good throwers. Jordan Love, for example, Shea Patterson. He isn't an overly great thrower, 
But there's going to be some really good competition. Steven Montez is another guy that has a really strong arm, even though he struggled with some accuracy issues. So there's going to be a really good controlled environment of competition for Hertz. And I want to see how he matches up against some of these guys just because we're going to see how well of a thrower he is and how much he has developed in that department. As far as the 7-on-7s, the 11-on-11s, and the control of scrimmage environments, I'm really looking forward to seeing him in those type of situations the most. Yeah, and you know what, honestly, and it's going to sound so crazy, but you know what honestly helps Jalen Hurts a lot this year? And this has nothing to do with the senior bowl or nothing like that, but what honestly helps Jalen Hurts is how the Saints use Taysom Hill this year. And I think, I think you know, I look at a team that's going to see what the Saints did with him. They're, you know, they might draft him as a backup quarterback, but incorporate him on some running plays, some trick passing plays, all that. And I think some teams are going to open their eyes to using him creatively like that. And, you know, he may be the quarterback of the future for some team, drafting the second or third round or some of that. But I think there might be a plan in place to use him earlier than that because I think with his, you know, he's so, so good as a runner. And, you know, there was talk before he even went to, you know, transfer to Oklahoma of him possibly changing positions going in the NFL. So this is a guy that I think can be used creatively when he first gets in the NFL before stepping into a full-time quarterback job. So, honestly, if you look at how the Saints use Taysom Hill this year, it's only going to help Jalen Hurts, and I hope, that, you know, you know, the senior bowl uses him creatively as well when you go down on their mobile. I think this guy has a, I think he has a bright future as a playmaker in general when he gets to the NFL before becoming a full-time quarterback at the next level. I think that's something he definitely has to be open to as well. He can't go down there really pigeonholing himself as far as being strictly a quarterback. If teams want to see him work out at, you know, tight end or running back or receiver, I think he should be open to that. And that's something that I think Braxton Miller did a really good job of, even though he didn't have a really successful NFL career. I thought he helped himself a lot as far as going down there and just experimenting. And, you know, don't say no to NFL scholarships because I think that's something that really could hurt his draft stock. And everyone knows he isn't an overly great thrower, but I think he should be open to experimenting with everything possible just because you're really expanding your value. And I think it really shows some unselfishness and self-awareness as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, some people are going to bring up Lamar Jackson and like, well, Lamar Jackson didn't do it. Why should Jalen Hurts do it? Lamar Jackson was a consensus first-round pick. I don't think anyone, you know, in the draft community thought, okay, he's not good. He should not be a first-rounder. This guy, Lamar Jackson had, I thought, elite arm talent. This guy was a much better thrower than Hurts. Oh, yeah, college. without question. It was not in question. Jalen Hurts is, I mean, a late day two, early day three quarterback at best right now. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking about a guy that, you know, some teams may not value as a potential starter going forward. So I think he does have to be open to, you know, working different positions. You know, he goes to the senior bowl, the combine, all that. But like I said, you know, everyone was mocking Taysom Hill and the Saints for the last two years. But Taysom Hill almost won the Saints that playoff game against your Vikings. Single-handedly. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, a passing touchdown, or a rushing touchdown. This guy was unbelievable. So I think teams, you know, are going to see what Sean Payton did and they might do the same thing with Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I'm not, that's not to say Jalen Hurts can't be a, you know, a future quarterback for a team. I'm just saying but when he starts developing, sits behind a veteran quarterback, and when he's grooming and weight, he can be used as a playmaker in the offense while grooming behind that quarterback. Just as I think the Saints are doing with Taysom Hill. So I think Jalen Hurts, if he's open to that, that's only going to help his stock. And I hope, I hope the coaching staff, you know, whether it's the Lions or the Bengals, whoever coaches him, that they use him in that kind of creative manner. They ask him to do certain things. So I think that's only going to help his career if he does those kind of things. Definitely. Man, I'm so pumped about the Senior Bowl. 
it's going to be like Christmas morning to me, man. Getting that flight information today from Paige was so, was so awesome. So I'm already excited about the Senior Bowl, and I'm sure you are too, man. Oh, dude, I can't wait. Dude, you talk about getting the email notification, man. I got the same one you did, my friend. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, I got the same email credentials you did too, my friend. It's, it's going to be so fun. And, you know, I wasn't able to go to the Senior Bowl last year, and I missed it sorely. Yeah. Uh, I went two years ago, and it was one of the best things I ever did. So I cannot wait. Uh, it's going to be so fun. Just meeting all the players, talking to them, getting to know some of their backgrounds, their stories, all that getting to know their why. And that, yeah. that's my favorite thing about it is just talking to the players, talking to the coach, talking to the scouts about, you know, what they know and kind of picking their brains. I, that's my favorite thing. So I can't wait for it. I can't wait to share it with the listeners. Man, it's going to be so much fun. Super excited about that. And speaking of which, a senior bowl player that I did have a chance to talk to over the weekend, you know, Benjamin, I actually have the article coming about or coming out about that. It should be up to date on the draft network. Really good guy, man. Really enjoyed everything about him. Share some really good stuff about his career, about Herm Edwards playing under him or playing under Herm Edwards. I should say the transition from Ty Graham to him, just everything that went about that really, really fantastic story, man. Coming from Nigerian roots, both his parents are Nigerian, uh, played through a separated shoulder his junior year of high school. He took me through that experience. And then Everybody asked, I, you, of course, I had to ask him how he graduated in three years. So he told me that he always wanted to be a lawyer. And then one of his biggest goals was to play in the Senior Bowl when he was coming out of high school and going to Arizona wow. State. So what he did was, it's really incredible. What he did was he took 18 credit hours in the spring semester of last year. And then during football season this year, he took 21 credit hours in order to graduate. So he could play in the Senior Bowl. So uh, kudos to him. I just want to thank him again for sharing the story. Uh, that story will be up, uh, or actually is up right now. And I might actually release it uh, for a podcast episode here later on in the week. I'll come on phone conversation with that. So I probably will share that one day later uh, this week, just so you guys can hear his story. It's really incredible. And that's the great thing about it, man. I love getting to hear the other side of these guys stories and getting to know them personally just because you can go on youtube you can type in their highlight you can see these guys with their helmets on but i love telling the story and finding out about them with their helmets off just because that's something you can't type into youtube or find Absolutely. out about and just sitting down with him it was a fantastic experience dude and you talk about crazy graduating in three years being the star player on the arizona state football team man i graduated in just under three years at texas tech and I thought, man, I was taking 18 hours every semester doing all that. God, could you imagine rushing for yeah. 1,500 yards and doing all those classes? <laughs> 21 credit hours. That's Unbelievable. insane. I, I thought I accomplished something when I graduated under three years. Man, kudos to you know Benjamin. I cannot wait to read that story, man. That's going to be so great. I cannot wait to talk to him when we get to Mobile. That sounds like a great story. Yeah, but yeah, good it, guy, like man. Said, it, it just the person, the per- these guys are human beings. These guys are people and that's the best thing about getting to know this process getting to know the players there and getting to know their mindset because that's honestly the biggest thing that translates to nfl success is what kind of mindset do you have going into this business and do you really love football and all that so i cannot wait to talk to the players and, and talk to the coaches too about you know pick their brains about something because we'll have media day we'll have we'll have an opportunity to talk to the coaches and you know potentially put that sound on the podcast for you guys to listen to you just ask them about philosophy. Ask them about, you know, 
what this means for them and just, you know, what they hope to gain out of this. Because any tidbit of information you can get from those guys, you can just learn from this coach and pick their brains. They've been a part of this game for so long. So I can't wait to get to Mobile. Like you said, we got the flight information from Paige. We're all set, man. I can't wait. It's gonna be so we much are fun. all set. And once again, want to thank you guys for listening. That is our show for today. We covered a lot of things. Two attack of our lowest decision. Some guys that were going back to school and also some early guys who actually declared for the draft as well. Talked about Jalen Hurts going to the Senior Bowl and be on the lookout for my article with Eno Benjamin. Sit down conversation with him over the weekend. Once again, thank you, Eno, for doing that. Uh, kudos to you and you had a fantastic career. Looking forward to talking to you talking to you again down at the Senior Bowl as well as many other players as well. But for Jonah and myself, we are the Locked On College Football Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back tomorrow with plenty of other topics to discuss surrounding the college football landscape. Make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already and leave a five-star review. Once again, thank you guys for listening, and we will be back tomorrow.